looking at that overhead, and it reminded me of a time when I was in the, uh, the mountains of Peru. And uh, I had three or four days up there, and then the uh, pastor that had opened it up for me said, oh, said, the way back, I'm not sure we'll be able to do it. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, the bridge has sort of collapsed, and people are falling through holes in the bridge, and cars and nothing can get through. So I thought, well, there's got to be another way. And the first thing, fear, you know, wants to rise up on the inside of me. I'll never get back home. How am I going to get back down there? So anyway, I said, well, let's just give it a go. We had about four suitcases between two of us, and there were uh, some bodyguards, and they were carrying our suitcases. So we, we got to the place, and I was imagining something like out of... Uh, Oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or Tarzan, you know. And I'm thinking, okay, I can do this. I can do this. So I got there, and it wasn't anything as I had imagined. I mean, I said, this is a piece of cake. You know? I can walk across this, and I'll step over here, and then I'll step over there. And we got through suitcases and all. But it just goes to show you how that spirit of fear, when you hear something, wants to just jump up and grab a hold of you. And the next thing you know, you have all kinds of imaginations and, and fears. And so uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to be Tarzan or um, Raider of the Ark or whatever his name is. But uh, it was nothing, nothing. Praise the Lord. So, I, you know, so obviously I got back. So, um, as you know, <laughs> we are talking about the spirit of triumphing over fear. Uh, would you please turn to 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Calm, well-balanced, self-controlled mind. So let me ask you a question tonight. How many of you have one Bible? Raise your hand. You have one Bible. How many of you have two? Yeah. Uh, more than five? They're all different versions, right? More than seven? <laughs> I could go further, but I think uh, Abraham stopped at 10, didn't he? <laughs> but um, what happened to me was that I had gotten a hold of a copy of the 1599 Geneva Bible. And... Um, so a little bit of history about this, because I got kind of curious about what it would say in that particular scripture. And um, it's the Bible that accompanied our forefathers to the New World. And the Geneva Bible had a revolutionary impact uh, that can be really appreciated when you understand that there wasn't any Bible amongst the people for about 400 years. 
And uh, prior to the printing of Luther's German Bible in 1534, and then this Geneva Bible in English, uh, everyday believers like you and me and the people out there did not have their own Bible. Aren't you glad that we have a Bible and that we have more than one Bible and that we read our Bibles so we can find out what God is saying to us? And so the church and the kings at that time kept all the clergy uh, and the Latin scholars uh, they were allowed to have Bibles, but no one else. As a matter of fact, Bloody Mary uh, in England made it a capital crime to read a Bible in the English language. There's a lot more history, but this is not a history class. I was kind of curious, what is this Bible going to say in uh, 2 Timothy 1.7? So I opened it up and I looked. I said, oh, for God has not given to us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That made me happy, because even back in 1599, they had 2 Timothy 1.7. And it said that um, that word fear meant in here to pierce through or to terrify us. Now... That almost terrified me, but I went ahead anyway. And um, we know that the devil came to steal, right? What, kill and destroy. And that's still his mode of operation today. And there's plenty of opportunity in our world today to become afraid. There's lots of stuff on the internet, on the television, that has really bad news. Even some of our prophets are prophesying doomsday. And um, I heard Gloria uh, Copeland say, but we're not in that class. We're not in that place. We are in heavenly places, seated with Christ. And even those, those, those things are going to come, we are not going to be here. We'll have to go through some stuff, don't you think? You don't know. We are going through it now. That's right. So I asked the Lord, are you sure, Lord, that I'm supposed to be here at this time? Because it seems to me like I'm not so sure I know how to handle all of this. And... Uh, he reminded me of Esther for such a time as this. And God didn't mess up our date of birth. He knew exactly when we would be born and exactly when we'd be out of here. And he has chosen us for a specific time and project or plan or purpose. And it's our responsibility to find out what that plan and purpose is. We're not just to be holding on uh, and cowering in fear that the rapture might not come soon enough and I might have to believe for something 
or I might have to stand against fear, but we are supposed to use the power, use the love, use the sound mind in this age against the enemy. And uh, do you have the faith and fear overhead that you could put up? We looked at this last week, I believe. Because we are, nope, wrong one. There's the one that says fear, and then it says faith on the other side. But uh, faith for us is to move forward. Well, yeah, there it is, sort of. Okay, fear on the right is false evidence appearing real. That was like the bridge that I thought I'd be crossing. Okay, and faith is forward advancement in the heat of battle. That's what God wants us to do. Not to hang on and cling to fear, but to move on in strength and in power. He wants us to stand against the lies of the enemy. He wants us to take no thought, give him no place in our lives. And so uh, why aren't we doing that? Maybe all of us are. I know that even last night, uh, out of the blue, something came shooting through my head, and I started to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. That is not a thought that I'm thinking. It's not in, uh, in the word of God, so I'm not receiving it. Jesus made a show of him openly, did he not? And Satan, I believe, knows he's defeated. And so he's giving it everything he can at this last time and, and uh, time that we live in. God's given us the authority. Is that right? Okay. All authority was given to Jesus, and he said, go therefore, where? Into all the world. And what? Preach and make disciples. Right? So we've been given dunamis power. That's like TNT, and it's explosive power. And we've also been given exousia power, which is authority. So we have authority to blow up the works of the devil when he comes. And we've been given power. So you say, okay, Sister Hildy, why have we been given power to work miracles? to confound the enemy, to enable us to do what is right in God's sight, to help us through all the trials and the tribulations that we are having gone through. Why did he give us love? So that we can believe, so that we can uh, hope in the word of God and love others as he has loved us. And I like to say, too, hope is very important. Uh, hope is the anchor of your soul. And if you, can, if you don't have your faith, you can keep your hope hanging on until faith comes. Sound mind. To discern clearly even how to pray over a given situation to bring down strongholds in our lives, in our nation. 
so that I don't have any senior moments. I don't have any confusion operating in my life. I have no Alzheimer's going to come in on my brain, my mind. My mind and my brain are two different things, but I'm talking about the mind of Christ. He doesn't have Alzheimer's, doesn't have senior moments. Now, once in a while, I miss up my words, but... About 20 years ago, I was in Barbados. I'd love to go back to Barbados. <laughs> um, and I was studying for a church service. And as I was studying, the Lord spoke. I always have a pencil and paper around when I'm studying. And he said to me, at that time, the church age is coming to an end. And if that was 20 years ago, we are even closer now to the end of the church age, the age of grace. And so for those reasons, we ought to be able to appropriate in our lives power, love, and a sound mind. Those are perfect gifts that the Father in heaven has given us, according to James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variable, there is no shadow of turning. Glory to God. Now there's always a man's part and a God's part. He gives us good stuff and perfect stuff and stuff that we can receive from him. And that's what we need to do. We need to appropriate the word of God into our lives so that whatever comes up in our lives, we have a word that can contrast to it. We have a job to do. You may be thinking you're unemployed, but God doesn't think about you that way. He has a job and a plan for you, and we can't be boggled down by fear. Uh, there are many types of fears, like, and, and they will all lead to bondage. And they'll tie you up in knots, they'll get you wringing your hands, they'll get you rocking in the rocking chair and worrying about everything and cause your palms to sweat, and sometimes you might even feel as if you have to walk on eggshells around somebody. Fear of man, fear of man's approval, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of dying, Fear of rejection, that's a biggie, and fear of loss. Fear is fear, no, what, no matter what kind of label you give to it, and it always brings you into bondage, which brings you into death. So, this kind of fear of man is just about as destructive as fear of sickness. You remember that the Israelites could not enter the promised land because of what they saw 
and how they saw themselves. In other words, they listened to their five senses, and they were intimidated by what they saw. Now, intimidated means panic-stricken, demoralized, and it's a kind of fear that's used in the business world a lot. As a matter of fact, one of the books that was written a few years ago was Winning by Intimidation. Well, I didn't read the book, but I understood what it meant to be intimidated because I had been intimidated for a large part of my life. Uh, I was so intimidated, I was even intimidated by people that were taller than me. <laughs> and um, even if they were good friends, they, I just... <laughs> That's kind of silly. And, and sometimes I see the police, and if I'm driving, I always have to check, am I okay? You know? That's kind of a fear, too. You don't, you don't want to be doing 50 in a 45, or as I see some people, you're supposed to 65 and they're doing 80 or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about 41, 42. <laughs> but the police, when I was growing up, they weren't the most loved in the neighborhood because there was a police station across the street from me, and um, I saw what happened to people that they picked up and uh, arrested, and so I had a fear of policemen. And um, now the firemen, they were okay. Yeah. I liked the firemen, uh, and I think they liked me too. <laughs> anyway, would you please turn to 1 Samuel 15. Bullying, that's another kind of fear trying to take over. And it's rampant in our school system, in the grade school especially. And um, homosexuality is in the schools. Why aren't we praying? You're praying. I know, Pat, she prays. Portia prays. Oh, you pray. Do you pray? Yeah, you pray. <laughs> we ought to be praying for those that are in authority over us. Okay, 1 Samuel 15. I'm sure you know this story, but um, fear of disapproval. I want you to, and, and pleasing people, I want you to notice the progression that takes place here in verse 17. Saul was Israel's first king. He was handsome, he was tall, and he was above all the men of Israel. But internally, he saw himself as little. And he was filled with insecurity. And that basic insecurity and his need to please others cost him his descendants, his, him and his descendants a kingdom. So, let's read here in uh, 17. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, in other words, the prophet's ministry is operating here, and he knows that Sam, Samuel, Saul, see, 
was not very secure. He says, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did you not have the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. What is the order? He's been given a mission to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites, the enemies. And and the prophet says to him, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the, on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul says to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and, and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people... But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things, which uh, we're going to offer to sacrifice to our God. Then Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Did you notice the progression there that took place with Samuel? We're talking about the fear of man and and the fear of pleasing, not pleasing others. So the first thing he does, he tells a lie. He said, I did. I did destroy everybody. And Saul says, "Uh, but I have the voice of the Lord, Saul said to Samuel. I obeyed. I destroyed And then he goes and he starts blaming the people. He gives an excuse and he blames the people. And the people took the plunder. I didn't do that. The people did it. And then he says, and and we could offer sacrifices to God. Yippee for me. So Samuel said, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. For rebellion is the sin as of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Whoops, says Saul. I'm sorry. Uh, I have sinned. Yeah, I've transgressed against the commandment of the Lord and and your words, uh, Samuel, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Then he begs for mercy. Please pardon my sin and let us go together that we can worship the Lord. It's a little too late. Samuel says to him, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. How important it is to follow through on those things that God has spoken to you. Remember, there is a plan for you. There is a time and a place and a purpose for each and every one of us. There is a people that God has for each and every one of us. And they're waiting for us to come and speak to them. So we can't be afraid and, and thinking that we're going to displease someone or the word that we uh, usually 
say is, offend them. And I say, offend them. Their blood might be on your hands if you don't talk to them about the word of God. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over all of Israel. So Saul's fear of man caused disobedience to God. There may be a time when you're at a, a, a pump at the gas station and uh, somebody is right next to you and you start up a conversation with them and you have this prompting on the inside of you. I ought to share something about the gospel. Uh, I better maybe even give my testimony. Nah, what good would that do? Well, maybe I should. Uh, no, you know, they'll only laugh at you, and then you'll be rejected, and nothing you say is going to make any sense. Well, go for the rejection if you need to, but don't disobey the unction of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. I know a number of years ago, uh, Bruce and I lived in, where was that place? In Tulsa, Broken Arrow? Yeah. And uh, we went into a uh, Mexican restaurant, and uh, Bill was with us. And uh, the waitress came over. And I had gone through evangelism. Uh, I'd been a leader in that. And it was way too long to go, go to try to give a synopsis of that to a, a waitress. So I asked the Lord. Would you please give me something short to the point where I can witness to somebody in a quick, quickie moment? And he did. And so here she came to take our order, and I shared with her uh, my testimony. And when I finished, she was crying, and uh, the Lord had touched her. But I want you to know that partial obedience is still disobedience. That's a hard one. You may think that you're doing the right thing halfway, but then you don't finish it up, and it's still disobedience. So approval-seeking is a hard taskmaster. I know. I tried it, and it was horrible. Uh, in the first place, I never got the approval that I wanted, <laughs> no matter how hard I tried. And I was always afraid of doing something wrong, that uh, something wrong would be said to me or whatever else. And, and so uh, fear inhibited me from being all that God wanted to be. And um, I'm saying to you, quit getting busy pleasing people. Please God. Galatians 1.10 says, Paul wrote, For do I now persuade men of, uh, or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Who do you choose to please? You choose to please men or the Lord? So one of the first things you need to do if you want to get through fear, no matter where it comes up in your life, um, is make a decision that you are going to live above fear. When it tries to come, you have the authority to shut it down. And um, 
if you have made that decision that uh, you're not going to yield your authority to demons or you're not going to meditate on the bad news not going to meditate on what the doctor's bad report is you're going to have a word ready if a bad report comes because you're in the word and the word is in you and the Holy Spirit will give you the unction to say what you need to say. So God doesn't want you just handling fear. He wants you to get rid of it in every area of your life. Isaiah 54, 13 says, In righteousness shalt thou be established. If we are born again, and as everyone that I see in here is born again, uh, we are established in righteousness. And that shall be meaning we are free from oppression. What is oppression? Well, oppression is whatever tries to keep you down. It's like someone taking something away from you that they have no right to. They may try to take your mind. They may try to take your body. Oppression just wants to keep you pressed down. Oppression wants to keep you down. And uh, now, that's a good one. Can I have the other one, please? The overhead about the five basic areas of the soul. Yeah. One, thought processes. Two, emotions. Three, imaginations. Four, memories. And five, will. All right. Satan comes to us through our thought processes. Now, um, I heard uh, somebody say somewhere, well, the thoughts may come, but they don't have to settle in your head or, you know, nest in your hair or something like that. So, and the thoughts coming not necessarily means that you're evil. It just means that the devil is evil and he's trying to put something in your mind. And then if you accept that thought, then the attack spreads to your emotions, your soul, your intellect, your uh, feelings. Okay. So first you got the thought. <gasps> they said I have a tumor. <gasps> oh, it's probably cancerous. <gasps> I'm scared. What am I going to do now? Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Then it flashes a picture on the scene of your imagination. You see yourself in the hospital. You see yourself going through all this stuff. And then you have to replay tapes that come from the past. Memories from the past, from somebody that you knew that had to go through something like that. And it starts to play out. And then the willpower. If all of these processes have taken place, the last one is the will. So where do you think you have to stop it? Number one, in the thought process. Because otherwise, the initial temptation to think wrongly and in a self-defeating way or in a frightening way has grown from a molehill into the proverbial mountain. 2 Corinthians 10, 4.
For the weapons of our warfare are not, what? Carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments or imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have several words there. We are armed with spiritual weapons. These weapons can successfully demolish the works of the devil and strongholds in our lives. Anybody ever have a stronghold, something you couldn't get through? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to say, let's see. <laughs> I have. Occasionally, I find out there's another one that I have to go to the Lord about and seek the Lord on it. But these weapons of our warfare are successful in demolishing strongholds in our lives because we're fortified by the work of Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. As God's soldiers, we have to defend the truth against attacks, battling the arguments that deny or reject the knowledge of God. So I asked myself where it said, take no thought, I thought, how do I take a thought? I take a thought when I let it sit there and I meditate on it, and then I open up my mouth and I speak it. Oh, I'm afraid I'm catching the flu. Or I'm afraid this elevator is going to get stuck and I'm going to be in here for a while. Or I'm afraid we won't be able to pay our bills. And we speak that out of our mouths instead of what the word has to say, that he meets all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And uh, we need to reject them by refusing to speak them. Instead, speak the word of God. So how do you cast down imaginations? First off, imagination is not bad. God gave it to us as a good gift uh, so that we could see ourselves in Christ. We can see ourselves healed. We can see ourselves withstanding the onslaught of the enemy. We can see ourselves with our imagination standing on a platform and thousands of people coming forward to be saved, you know. Faith-filled. We can use our imagination for that. But if the devil plants a seed and it takes root, then it becomes a pattern of thinking. And so you break them by getting to the root. You didn't deal with the seed when Satan planted it, so now it's produced a wicked harvest. So you need to pull it up by its root and start thinking on holy thoughts. Your godly imagination can turn you into the person God designed you to be. Captive to obedience is capture. If we ca capture those thoughts, we've arrested it. And, and when a doubt or fear gets planted in your mind, you simply say, no, you don't. You are contrary to the word of God and to the obedience of Christ. You, devil, are under arrest, not me. And you quote the word of God out loud. 
when we give the enemy permission to come on us by the words that we speak, there's no way that we can uh, move forward in faith. It's through grace, Romans 12 tells us, that we've been given the measure of faith. So you can't tell me that you don't have faith because God just told me that he has dealt to every man the measure of faith. What you do with it is up to you. You can grow it in different areas. But faith and fear are opposites. So if you're going to have faith, you can't have fear. If you're going to have fear, you can't have faith. They don't cooperate with one another. I heard a story the other night. I think um, Billy Brim was telling it. Uh, a mother and the daughter were out in the wheat fields, and they saw a tornado come in. And the daughter starts running. She's going to go into the shelter. And, and the mother falls to the ground, and she said, Oh, God, help us now. Please turn that tornado. We don't want to get killed. And the daughter said, Mom, you better get in the shelter. God don't hear scared prayers. <laughs> no faith there. Scared prayers, you know. We have to hold fast, fast to our confession of faith. We were captive before faith came, but we're not captive anymore. Raise your hands and say, I'm not captive anymore. I know what to do when the thoughts come. I'm going to reject them and say no. And I'm going to replace it with the word of God. Hallelujah. The devil doesn't have any new tricks. They are the same since he was kicked out of God's heaven. He uses the same tricks over and over. Uh, there's no reason for us to uh, think this is new to me. <laughs> so Psalm 46, 1 through 3. This was probably written uh, during a siege of Jerusalem. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, we will not fear. Praise God. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not. Why not? Because I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Those are good promises. And that's why we ought not to allow fear to dominate us. For the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He guides me. He leads me. He's the strength. He's my life support. He's my life support. When I feel uh, weeks ago, a month ago, that I couldn't breathe. I was, just, I was having an attack. I couldn't breathe and I felt faint. 
And the Lord said to me, while I was sitting there and praise and worship was going on, run. I almost said, are you kidding? I can't hardly breathe. And you want me to run? Besides, there are people sitting here. Run. And I also had a, a bad toe. And so I said, okay. So I got up and I ran. And I had my breath back. And my toe didn't hurt anymore. <laughs> so I could have sat there and been disobedient and just say, I'll worship more. I'll praise more. They're going to laugh at me. They won't know why I'm running. Maybe they think I'm running to the bathroom or something. But I didn't care. Fear was not going to keep me sitting in my chair when I'd heard from the Lord to run. If God be for us, who can be against us? God's everlasting love is with us, and he has told us to draw near to him, and what? He will draw near to us. Hallelujah. So when we approach him by faith and prayer, he'll meet us as we come closer in a spiritual sense. If you move towards God, you will automatically be moving away from the world, from sin, fear, and defeat. So we're not going to let the devil take control of us, are we? There's many other things that I will share in the coming week on how to overcome. Right now, I want to pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that, Holy Spirit, you will reveal to each one of us when a spirit of fear tries to come against us so that we can say, no, you are contrary to the word of God, and I am not receiving you in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.
God.